What's going on? Welcome back to the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to say from the very beginning, I might burp. I just feel it. I feel this one burp bubble sitting right in the middle of my chest, and it could erupt at any moment. So just giving you fair warning. With that said, I'm excited for this episode. It's just going to be you and me chatting, or me chatting, you listening, depending on how long you listen to this episode. Either way, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good one. Could be wrong. We'll see. Stop rambling. Let's go, Jordan. Come on, get into it. Here's the deal. In this episode, I want to talk about quitting. And I guess you could call it the art of quitting, with art being in quotations. And I'll actually preface by saying much of what I'm going to discuss stems from a remarkable book written by Seth Godin. And the book is called The Dip. It's about a 45-minute to an hour read. I strongly urge you to get it. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. That being said, what I'm about to discuss might also make reading the book unnecessary. Either way, big fan of Seth Godin, great book, and it's called The Dip. Now, the premise of The Dip is based around sort of breaking down the myth that quitting is bad, right? Because in society today, often what we hear is the phrase that goes, quitters never win and winners never quit. But that's actually false. It is remarkably inaccurate because the people who consistently win at a high level are actually the best quitters. They don't quit everything they do but they know when it's the right time to quit. They know when to call it. They know when something isn't worth doing anymore. So they cut it. And the dip is basically that time frame in which it's the optimal or best time to quit something. The question is, well, how do you know? So what the dip is, basically the flow of it is anytime you start a new skill or a new activity or a new habit, anytime you start something, there's this skill acquisition period. There's a, a somewhat relatively brief period of time in which you're probably going to suck at it. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be in a, in a serious learning phase, a serious skill acquisition phase that's very difficult. And you're learning the skill of it. It's taking more time because you've never done it before. And it can be frustrating. This is not the time to quit. If you quit during this time, then you didn't give yourself enough of a chance to actually see if it would be worth it. After the skill acquisition phase, there's a brief period, and this is called the dip. The dip is the period after you've developed all of the skills necessary in order to decide, all right, is this worth pursuing? Is this worth giving more of my time and attention? Or have I learned enough to this point to realize this isn't right for me. This isn't going to work for me. This isn't worth my time. And what Seth Godin argues in The Dip and what I very much believe is that the people who win at a high level on a consistent basis are the best at quitting at the right time. They don't quit too soon. They don't quit before they ever gave it a chance. And they don't just stay in something that they don't want to do because they don't want to be a quitter. Right, Because this is, I think, some of the major struggles that people have. On one hand, 
Some people just don't actually give something a shot. They don't give it enough time, enough of a chance to actually see if it's going to work, to see if it's something that's worthwhile for them. On the other hand, some people just stay in something for years and years and years and they do it forever because they feel like they have to and they feel like they they don't want to be a quitter. Or maybe it's not that they don't want to be a quitter, but they feel like they're not being loyal if they do quit, right? So there are many reasons for why someone might stay in something that they shouldn't, but the reality is the people who are the happiest and the most successful are the best at quitting in that dip. And I'm not an expert in this, but I'm just going to give you some of my stories, some tell you some of the stories I've been through growing up and through my career that might help you along your journey with whatever it is you're going through. So I'll start with college. And if you know anything about me or if you followed me for a while, you know I hated college. I was I was not a fan of college. I was not a fan of where I went to school. I went to the University of Delaware, and I've spoken about this before. I should say that I don't think it was the University of Delaware's fault. I think I could have went to any college and I would have hated it. To give you some backstory, before I went to college, I took a year off between high school and college and I went to Israel for a year and I traveled. I volunteered with Holocaust survivors. I lived on my own or with some roommates and I just traveled the world and I didn't have homework. I didn't have teachers. There were no chaperones. It was just me living life. And I was doing what I loved and I really enjoyed it. And a lot of my friends that I met that year actually went into the Israeli Defense Force once that year was over. I was 18 and when you're 18 in Israel, both men and women, they joined the Israeli Defense Force. So I was seeing a lot of my friends going into the army and I actually wanted to join the army. I I told my mom, I remember, because I was there for a whole year, and in May, I was supposed to come back in June. In May, I called my mom and I told her, I was like, Mom, I'm going to join the Israeli Defense Force. And she replied, you're absolutely not. I'm going to come over there and I'll kill you if you do that. So I came back and I went to college because of my mom. And I think this is important for many reasons, not least of which... Going into college, I had a very different history than a lot of students. A lot of people, they go into college right after high school, and they're looking forward to partying and and doing all the things that college kids do. By the time I got to college, I had no interest in that. I, I feel like I had just had a year that changed my life and my perspective forever. And when I went to school, a lot of what I was thinking about was the people that I had met and how they were devoting their life to the army. And I almost had a sense of guilt around not being there with them. But I was also in school purely because of my mom. Now, I don't really have much of a relationship with my father, and by much, I mean none. I I don't speak with my father. We haven't spoken in years, and that's fine. I think a lot of people hear that, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's fine. It's, It's better. It's a really good thing. And if you have someone in your life that you've had to to not communicate with for your own betterment, you understand what I'm talking about. It's actually better that I don't have a relationship with him. I was purely going to college because of my mom. And my mom is a huge advocate of higher education. She comes from a family of doctors and lawyers and professors and superintendents and teachers. Like Higher education in my mom's family is the most important thing or one of the most important things. And 
she was the reason that I was going. And I think it was so important because I didn't want to sacrifice my relationship with her. I knew that if I didn't go to college, there was definitely going to be friction in our relationship. And she loves me more than anything. And she would never, ever, ever want to not have contact with me. But I knew there would be friction there. So I was like, I'm going to go to college and just so that I can have a great relationship with my mom. Now, the first three months of college, really the first year was awful, but the first three months were just absolutely terrible. I was severely depressed. I was in the worst frame of mind I've ever been in in my entire life. And because of that, I became more and more isolated I I didn't go out. I didn't I didn't go to parties. I, I remember it like within the first couple of nights, there were a bunch of frat parties and highlighter parties and stupid stuff that college kids do that most people oftentimes you hear say, oh, college is the best years of your life. I hated it. And I I despised it and I felt gross and weird doing it. And I just wanted to be back in Israel with my friends. So I I sort of just isolated myself further and further and further. And I, I didn't do well in school. I didn't do well in classes. I actually, I'll never forget this. <laughs> My freshman year biology class, I failed. And the reason is because when, when I went into school, they, in the University of Delaware, they had this program. It was called Sakai. And basically it was where all of the professors put their assignments for their classes on this website. And it was, candidly, it was pretty confusing. Like I had a, a lot of difficulty trying to figure out how to use Sakai. Well, my biology teacher put a project on Sakai on day one. And I never looked at it. I just never saw it. So I remember about in, in midway through October of my freshman year, in the middle of class, my teacher goes, okay, hand in your projects. And I looked to my buddy Kyle and I was like, what project? And he looked at me. He did the kind of look that your friend gives you when they think you're joking. Like, like that's sort of that like laugh, haha, yeah, funny joke. I was like, no, seriously, what project? He was like, bro, this project is like 50% of our grade. It was up since day one on Sakai. And I was like, dude, I haven't looked at Sakai. Like, I don't even know how to use Sakai. So I went to the teacher and I was like, listen, I'm really sorry. I'm in a really bad mental place. Could you give me a 48-hour extension and I'll get this project done? Keep in mind, this project was for the first six weeks of school. So to say I'm going to do it in 48 hours, that would have been tough. And the teacher looked at me and she laughed and I hated this teacher. She was so mean. She was like, no, you fail. And I, fail, I failed the class. And I remember I went back to my dorm that afternoon and I booked a one-way ticket to Israel. I was like, screw this, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to I'm going to Israel. I'm going to join the Israeli Defense Forces like I'm done. Now, there were some instances of fate here that played into this. I was very lucky because the next day, I got a call from Louis Simmons, the owner of Westside Barbell, and he offered for me to come train with him that summer. That's a separate story for another day, but if it wasn't for Louis Simmons calling me, I very much believe that I would have left. I bought a one-way ticket. I hadn't told anybody. My mom didn't know. I was planning on telling her once I got to Israel. But thank God Louis Simmons called me and he said, I want you to come and train with me. And I think that saved me from leaving school. That being said, there were many more instances throughout the semester 
that almost had me quit. And I vividly remember one night I was speaking to a very close family friend of mine. His name is Josh. He was in his young 30s at the time, early 30s at the time. Very close family friend. He's a psychologist, unbelievably smart, very kind, generous young man. And I remember I texted him. I was like, hey, man, I need to talk to you. And I was in my dorm room and I was in tears. I just felt awful. And I was like, man, I'm going to drop out of school. I absolutely hate it here. And he asked me, he said, Jordan, why are you in school? And I was like, because of my mom. I said, that's the only reason I'm here because I want a good relationship with my mom. And he said, well, good. Then you know you're not going to leave because your relationship with your mom is the most important thing to you. And you don't want to risk that. So he said, you need to look at it like this. For the next three and a half years, you're in detention. It's not fun. You definitely want to leave, but you might as well make the most of it. And I will never forget that conversation, nor that analogy, that example of being in detention, because that changed my life for the better. And what it allowed me to do was, number one, not drop out of school. And number two is it allowed me to think of my time there as a time in which I could be very productive chasing my goals. And that's what I did. After that conversation, I started the University of Delaware powerlifting team with two of my good friends there. I started my website. I started writing. I started really researching very in-depth. I started using the, I remember, I remember using the, the university library in order to get access to all of the research journals and to all of the peer-reviewed articles that you can't get access to outside of a university or you have to pay a tremendous amount of money in order to get them. But I decided at that point that I wasn't going to quit. And keep in mind, again, this was all within the first three months of school, right? So I had gone through the skill acquisition phase. I was starting to understand how school worked. I was meeting people, creating a little bit of a community. I hated it, but I understood how it worked. There were some other kids who dropped out within the first week, first two weeks, first month. I stayed for the first three months. And this was all by chance. Like this wasn't, I wasn't in my head being like, all right, well, I need to get to the dip. Like this is just all luck. And I was very fortunate that I had a great person and friend in Josh to use this example with me saying, you know, you're not going to quit because you know, your mom is the most important thing to you. So just think you're in detention for the next three and a half years and you might as well make the most of it. And I did. And I'm so grateful that I didn't quit college because as anyone who has ever been through college knows, you're never going to have more time than when you're in college. Unless we'll call it, let's say you're in medical school or law school or in engineering, those students, they've got real workloads that are really difficult. Everybody else, I always say this, if you're in college and you have the time to take a nap during the day, you're not busy. If you could skip your first class or two and wake up late, And without being stressed about it, you're not that busy. Once you get into the real workforce, taking naps isn't really part of your day-to-day. If you're a mother or a father and you've got young kids, you're probably not taking naps very much because life gets busier after college. And I'm very fortunate that I didn't quit. And I look back and I'm very thankful I didn't quit because I used that time to build the foundation of what I have today.
So this is just one example of, of not quitting and sort of getting to a point where I realized, listen, I'm going to do this. I know I'm going to do this. So I might as well just accept it and grind through and find something to focus on to make this worth it. I'm going to give you a couple other examples of when I didn't quit, and then I'll give you a couple examples of when I did quit. Another example of when I didn't quit is when I was coaching Gary Vaynerchuk. Now, if you don't know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, you can look him up on Google, you can look him up on Instagram. He, he's one of the world's most world-renowned entrepreneurs, uh, incredible investor, incredible entrepreneur, and candidly, an incredible human being. I got the opportunity to coach Gary Long story for a different day, but I was very fortunate. I got the opportunity to coach Gary. And basically, that's he's the reason why I moved from Israel to New York City. So after I graduated college, I went back to Boston, which is where I grew up. And I have some stories about Boston, which is where I did quit. And then after I was in Boston for a while, I moved to Israel again. And then when I was living in Israel, Gary V reached out and I got the opportunity to coach Gary. So I moved from Tel Aviv to New York City to coach Gary. And the original deal was three years, right? So it was a three-year deal coaching him seven days a week, traveling with him wherever he goes, whenever he goes. And the first two and a half years were very intense. They were unbelievably difficult. A lot of people hear like, oh, you coached Gary for an hour a day. Like, that's not that difficult. It's like, first and foremost, think about this. Seven days a week for three years straight. No weekends, no breaks, no vacations, no nothing. Seven days a week for three years, you're on call for someone else. That's just the first thing to consider. No weekends, no breaks, no vacations. Seven days a week, you're on call. Even if it's just for an hour a day, you're on call wherever they are, whenever they want it. On top of that, Gary, because of the nature of his job, travels all the time, constantly. The first two years, I spent more times in airplanes and hotels and airports than I did in my own apartment. I was technically based out of New York City, but I didn't live in New York City. I lived in airplanes and hotels. So, to give you some perspective and backstory on this, before I started coaching Gary, I was running my own online coaching business. I was living in Israel where I'm by far the most happiest, where I'm my best self, doing my own thing. I'm taking intensive Hebrew courses to learn. I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm running my own business. I'm, I'm, I'm living life on my own terms. And then I get this job coaching Gary. And all of a sudden, I'm living life on Gary's terms. If he was in Hong Kong, I was in Hong Kong. If he was in London, I was in London. If he was in Germany, I was in Germany. If he was in LA, I was in LA. Constantly. So it's not just coaching him for an hour a day. It's also the time it takes to get to his apartment, coach him, get back to my apartment, go to his work building to give him a protein shake later in the day, come back to my apartment, take the Uber to the airport, get through airport security, wait for three hours, if there's a delay on the flight, get on the flight, screaming baby behind me, land, go to my hotel, check in, wake up early in the next morning, coach Gary, fly somewhere else. Like, this was my life. And again, it was those first three months that were absolutely brutal. And I'll never forget having several conversations with Gary's assistant basically telling him that I was going to quit. 
and sort of now just telling the story, it's crazy to me to think that it was three months, like this three month time frame. Within those first three months, I almost quit three times. I was so sad. I was lost. I was overwhelmed. I felt like I had no control over my life, which realistically I had very little control over my life. And I remember talking to his assistant, just saying, listen, dude, I, I'm going to quit. Like, I can't do this. This isn't good for me. It isn't good for my health. It isn't good for my business. Like nothing. And thank God, Gary's assistant, his name was Tyler. What an incredible guy. He really did a wonderful job of speaking to me and helping me and, and trying to help me come up with plans and ideas and, and just sort of just motivating me when I needed it. And I didn't quit. And the reason I didn't quit is because I knew that quitting would not be worth it relative to the potential upside of finishing my initial contract with Gary. I knew that finishing my initial contract with Gary would yield tremendous upside in terms of the relationship that I built with Gary, the people that I would meet through coaching Gary, the things that I would learn from coaching Gary, and quitting would not help, especially not in the long term. Maybe in the short term it would. So in that moment, that's actually, I remember using the, the analogy in my mind that Josh once told me, which was, imagine you're in detention. And I, I vividly remember telling Tyler about this and thinking about it later in my apartment, being like, listen, you're in detention for three years. Make the most of it. And that's what I did. And in that moment, that's when I decided I'm not going to quit. So it was no longer an option. And I'm so grateful that I didn't quit now looking back because there has been so many wonderful blessings that have come as a result of finishing out those three years that would not have happened if I quit. Now I'm going to tell you one more story of when I didn't quit before I get into the ones in which I did quit. So I hope this is interesting and, and maybe helpful to you. If not, I apologize. The, the other time that I didn't quit was with the inner circle. And I'll give you some background. I started the inner circle in December of 2015. And up until that point in time, I had only done one-on-one -on -one online coaching. From an online business perspective, I had coached people in person for like a decade at that point, but I had never done really group online coaching. My, my entire online business was just one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I was going to start the inner circle because I loved one-on-one -on -one online coaching. The issue was it was very expensive and I was starting to get more and more people requesting to work with me and not everybody could afford $300 a month, which is around what I charged. And I said, I need to find a way to offer a program that is more accessible to almost everybody around the world and also has amazing information, amazing programs, amazing nutrition, amazing community. I need to find a way to do this without charging so much money. So then I started the inner circle. Now, when I started the inner circle, next to nobody joined at first. There were very few people in the inner circle. Actually, I'll tell you a quick story. I know I'm going off on tangents here, but I think it's important for everyone listening just to hear because they sort of just see what's going on now and they're like, oh, you've got it made. You don't see the buildup. You don't see the backstory. I got to tell you this. So when I first launched the inner circle, I vividly remember this. I will never forget. When I launched the inner circle, I initially launched it for $1. 
I'll never forget this. I said, if you join the inner circle today or this week, it was a week long launch. I said, if you join, you can join for $1. If you don't like the inner circle, then I will refund your dollar. And not only will I refund your dollar, I will pay you a dollar. So what do you have to lose? You join the inner circle for a dollar and you could end up making a dollar. I'll never forget. I thought that was genius at the time. I was a young kid and realistically, I think it actually it worked well, but I had 80 people sign up for that. So I had about 80 people sign up for that initial launch with the opportunity for everyone to make a dollar. I had one person take me up on the refund plus the dollar. So one person was like, yeah, I don't like it. Give me my dollar back and pay me $1. I was like, oh man, what an ass. <laughs> but once, so, I, so 79 people in the inner circle. And then over the course of the next month or so, I had about 40 people drop off, which it makes sense, right? So for the first month, they were going to pay a dollar. And then after that, I think it went to $7.99 or something like that. So after that, about 40 people dropped off, which left me with about 40 people in the inner circle. Not that many, especially for $7.99 a month. Now, here's where things get interesting. When I started the inner circle, I made a promise to myself and to my business coach at the time, Pat Flynn, unbelievable guy, incredible friend, love him to death. And he helped me tremendously. I made a promise. I said, I'm going to try this for one year. If at the end of one year, it's not working, then I'll try something else. But I cannot quit before one year. The first few months of the inner circle were very, very difficult. And so interesting coming back to the first few months again and again and again. It's always the first few months that are so difficult. But I was putting in so much time and so much effort into the inner circle. I was so scared, by the way. <laughs> I remember it took me so long to make the first edition of the inner circle because I was sitting at my computer trying to write like what the introduction was going to be like, hey, welcome to the inner circle. I remember just sitting, staring at my computer screen with the blinking line waiting for me to write for hours and I didn't know where to start. I was like, where do I begin? What do I say? People have just paid me to join the inner circle. What am I going to say? What do they want to hear? Why are they going to be happy they joined? I was petrified. For the first few months, it was brutal. And I, I lost money on the first few months in terms of if you look at how much money came in versus how much time I spent, right? I definitely, it was a, it was a loss for the first few months. But I kept going. And because I made the promise to myself not to quit for one year, I kept going. And thank God, because the inner circle has become a blessing for me. And I know, I'm sure the, the members will be like, it's a blessing for me. Thank you so much. But the reality is the inner circle is a blessing for me. Each and every member in the inner circle has dramatically influenced my life. And I appreciate everyone so much. The community is incredible. The, the way everyone interacts and supports each other is incredible. It's become a tremendous blessing. But it was not easy to build. And there were times where I didn't think it was going to work and I didn't think I was able to make it work. The only reason I stuck with it is because I made that one-year commitment to try it for one year before I quit. And by the end of the year, it was worth it. Without question. I'd say by the end of six months, it was worth it. I could see that it was it was going to be worth it. But the first half year, whew, 
that was difficult. But thank God I didn't quit. Now, let's talk about when I did quit. I have a couple stories about that. The first story I'm going to bring up is when I moved back to Boston after I graduated college. I graduated college, moved back to Boston. I had an online coaching business, not successful at all at that point. I was I was probably making enough money to pay for groceries and a little bit of rent. So I moved back in with my mom and I started working at a gym in Boston. I'm not going to say the name of the gym or, or the owner of the gym. It was not a good experience at all. It was a really, really bad experience. Some of the employees were incredible. The facility itself was tremendous. I still think probably the best facility in terms of equipment that I've ever been in. But the way that the management and I got along was not good. I didn't like how they interacted with the clients. I didn't like the way they treated people. It it was not, in my mind, a good business. And... I remember when I first started there, you know, anytime you start a new job, you're excited. Oh yeah, cool. Super excited. Then you start to see how people are, how they act, what you like, what you don't like. And it didn't take long before I realized this was not where I wanted to be. And it's not where I wanted people to associate me with being. And again, as I'm talking, it's crazy how that three month mark starts to come up. It was It was right around my first three months where I was like, I need to find another job. Now, I was at this gym in total for six months. I I quit right around the six-month mark. But at the three-month mark is when I started looking for a new job. That's when I sort of checked out. I was like, I know I'm not going to be here much longer. I need to find another option, which I did. But I also have one of my best friends in the world was working at that gym at the same time. And I told him, I was like, bro, we got to get out. And he was like, yeah, 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 I know. But he didn't. He stayed on at that gym for, I believe, another year and a half, two years. And now we talk and and we laugh about it, but he regrets staying on for that much longer. He, He didn't pull the trigger. And this, I think, is a really good example of getting into that dip, sort of working your way through the skill acquisition phase and recognizing as quickly as possible, is this something worth pursuing for you? Is this something that you want to be associated with? Is this skill worth developing? Or do you need to get out? And I'm very lucky and fortunate that at that point in time, by month three, I was like, I'm done. Time to start looking. And by month sixth, I had no issues saying, hey, I got to get out of here. And that was that. Now, another time I quit, and this is sort of a little bit different, is with powerlifting. Now, the reason this is different is because I spent the better part of a decade powerlifting. It was my life. Now, I think realistically, powerlifting is what changed my career forever. I decided early on when I started powerlifting that I wanted to deadlift four times my body weight. I was like, I I had a propensity for deadlifting. I was naturally good at it. And I learned that three times bodyweight deadlift was generally seen as an advanced deadlift. So I I was like, well, if three times is advanced, I want to do four times. And I worked towards a four times bodyweight deadlift for the better part of a decade. I eventually got it. 
I deadlifted 530 pounds, weighing 132 pounds. And to my knowledge, I'm one of about 10 people or less to have ever accomplished that. But it took over my life. When I say there was a five-year period in which I didn't miss a single workout, I literally mean there was a legitimate five-year period where I didn't miss a single workout. My nutrition was meticulously on point. My training was meticulously planned out, designed, and executed. Everything to a T. All in search of this one goal. Four times bodyweight deadlift. I'll never forget once I hit that deadlift, and there's a video on YouTube if you want to find it. I, I, the video quality is awful. My ex-girlfriend from a number of years ago, who actually she is getting married. I believe she's going to have her first child now. We're on very good terms. She's great. My ex-girlfriend filmed the video, just terrible video quality. I remember I got so psyched up. I deadlifted. I hit it. I hit the four times bodyweight deadlift. I put the bar down, and in my mind, done. Immediately, I was like, I'm done with powerlifting. No more. It's not worth it. In my mind, I was like, deadlifting 4.2 times my body weight isn't going to improve my career at all. It's not going to make me any more revered in the powerlifting community. And the effort that I'm going to have to put in to achieving a 4.1, 4.2 plus times body weight deadlift is just not worth it to me. Now, this is an example of where I think the dip is further up along the curve. Earlier in this in this discussion, I was talking about how the dip may have been around three months. But in this scenario, the dip is years and years and years and years later, where I had already decided powerlifting was the route that I wanted to go, and I became an elite powerlifter, a highly competitive powerlifter, and a powerlifter that a lot of people turn to for advice. Now, the issue is, at this point in time, I really started to see that I could build my own business. I started to see that I could be coaching people from all over the world. I started to see that I could be impacting people everywhere. My main concern here was that I had built my entire business on the foundation of me as a powerlifter. The overwhelming majority of my clients were powerlifters, both men and women. And I had lost my passion for powerlifting. I hit four times body weight and I was done. I could feel it immediately. As I put the weight down, I was like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Now, I still love coaching powerlifting, but in my mind, I was very worried because I was like, if I'm no longer going to be powerlifting, then why would people hire me for powerlifting? If I'm not doing what they're going to be doing, why are they going to hire someone who's not doing the same thing? And I was petrified that my business was going to go down the drain. Because everything that I had thus far was powerlifting. So I was just going to shift to something else. And I was really, I wanted to focus on more general population. I just wanted to work with everyday people to help them get stronger, help them get leaner, help them burn fat, help them increase their confidence. I just wanted to work with the everyday person, not only powerlifters. But I was petrified because I thought my business was going to go down the drain because I was no longer powerlifting. And that's what my business was at that time. But at that point, I decided, I was like, I need to go all in on training the everyday person. I need to go all in on making content for the everyday individual. I need to stop making content for powerlifting. I need to stop making myself out to be the powerlifting coach and start 
talking about and making content around and practicing more of an everyday person's approach. And that was it. It was a very clear as day, clean cut decision. And in that moment, everything changed. My content started to change. My own workout started to change. My nutrition changed to replicate what I wanted to put out in the world and the people that I wanted to work with. It was a very quick decision for me to quit powerlifting. And if you go back and look at my content, you'll see 2012, 2013, 2014, everything is powerlifting. 2015, there's an immediate change. And that immediate change that you'll see in my content, whether you look on my website, you look on my Instagram, whatever, signifies when I decided to quit. I quit powerlifting. And it was a very scary decision, but one that in my opinion was very worthwhile and I'm very glad that I stuck with. I think in the short term, I would have had greater success short term by not quitting powerlifting, but way greater success and happiness long term by listening to my gut and doing what I knew was right, which is I had lost the passion for powerlifting. I didn't want to do it anymore. And by listening to my gut and following my passion, I made the right choice and I quit and I found what was right for me. So that's it for this episode. I think really what I hope to make you think about is number one, if you are trying something and you're getting frustrated Have you given it enough time? Like truly, have you given it enough time and enough consistency to warrant you quitting? Or do you need to give it more time? Have you given it three months, 90 days of 100% consistency? Because if not, you haven't made it through the skill acquisition phase yet. You don't know yet if it works. You don't know yet if it's right. You need to work harder and you need to be a little bit more consistent with it, at least for a little bit longer. Give it three months. And on the other hand, have you been doing something for too long that you know is not right for you? Maybe it's a job. Maybe you're in a relationship. I have no idea what it could be. Maybe it's a certain type of lifting. There are a million options. But in your heart and in your mind and your gut and in your soul, do you know it's time for you to quit? It's time for you to call it to go chase something else, to go do something that's going to make you happier and more successful and benefit you more. In that case, cut it. Quit today. Immediately make the decision. Be decisive with it. There's no right or wrong answers here. There's no definitive one right or one wrong recommendation. You really have to be very introspective and ask yourself what's best for you. And hopefully you'll get better at identifying that dip and making the right call, whether it's worth it for you to keep going or whether it's time for you to quit. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. They've been helping a lot. And if you'd like to join the Inner Circle, you can go to www.sfinnercircle.com and join today. It would be wonderful to have you. Talk to you soon.